Hey, good morning, friends. It is Sunday, August 23rd, and today I'm excited to share the teaching text with you. It is 1 Peter 1.22 from the Message Version of the Bible. It says, Now that you've cleaned up your lives by following the truth, love one another as if your lives depended on it. After 12 months last year of working through the entire Bible, if you were here for with us for the year of the Bible, I think I preached out of like 38 different books of the Bible. And then eight months this year of working through three chapters of the Bible, I'm hoping that you will permit me three weeks of just straight up topical preaching. And in particular, I want to talk about three practices or postures that are going to position us to thrive as followers of Jesus in this fall. Now, this fall... It bears a lot of anxiety for many people. Uh, we're naturally anxious people, I think, living in the modern era, but that anxiety is heightened by the coronavirus and the impacts that it's having on every level of life in our world right now, but also by uh, the presidential election, which is coming up in a few months, and conversations that have been ongoing and heightened in, in our country about race and power. Uh, three practices and postures that set us up for success as followers of Jesus to really thrive in the middle of all of this. And they're a little bit unexpected. Uh, the first one we're going to talk about today is friendship. Next week, we're going to talk about prudence. And then uh, the following week, we're going to talk about patience, friendship, prudence, and patience. And today we're going to talk about uh, friendship. Now, numerous medical journals have, have written about the unexpected but non-trivial health effects of an unexpected crisis in our country, and it's the loneliness epidemic. Numerous articles have been written about the lonely middle-aged man who like doesn't have any friends. It's not just like shut-ins, people that you might expect. It's 15-year-olds, it's 35-year-olds, it's 55-year-olds, people who in, a, in an unexpected way are, are disconnected, though in a disproportionate way with a view of all of history, we're more connected than ever. We have the tools and the infrastructure in place to know so much about what's going on in the world and the lives of people with whom we've crossed paths in the past. In spite of being more connected, in a sense, to more people than ever, uh, more often than not, people are feeling isolated and lonely. And this loneliness epidemic is tied to heart issues, to high blood pressure, to mental health challenges, uh, and, and is even linked to the wave of suicides that have gone on in recent years in our country. Social media is a really powerful tool, a useful tool in forging real friendships, but it can also provide us with the illusion that we're closer to more people than we actually are or that we actually can be close to. Social media allows us to skim the content of the lives of other people at a distance. So we know when their kid takes their first step or when they have a grandchild or when they go to that concert or they go to vacation. We get a sense of their taste in music and movies, and regrettably so at times, we also get a taste of their politics. And the acquisition of that knowledge is actually the stuff of friendship, uh, learning from people, the stuff about their lives, the stuff that um, you know composes like their passions and all of that. That's the stuff of friendship. But it turns out that the means or the methods whereby we acquire that knowledge makes all the difference in the world. And here's a key idea that I want you to remember. True friendship is a living thing, and it is birthed and sustained by embodied interaction. Here's what embodied interaction means. It's being close enough to a person where you can see their eyes, 
where you can hear their tone of voice, where you can observe their their facial expressions and their body language. It's deliberately delivering content from one person to another person. It's not for the masses. I'm talking to you right now. True friendship is a living thing, and it is birthed and sustained by this kind of embodied interaction. There's a mutuality involved in real conversation that can't happen on the phone where you can hear tone of voice. It can happen over, you know, video chat, FaceTime kind of things, but it ideally happens in person where you could reach out and touch a person. This is the stuff that creates and sustains actual friendships. Uh, Gaining information about a person exclusively through digital platforms can create a kind of artificial intimacy. Here's why it's artificial. One, we are curating a persona through digital platforms. We have the ability to go back and edit our words when we said something foolish, and we want to get the picture that that presents us at, at just the right angle. We're not really presenting our most authentic self because it's being mediated through a platform and we're curating the story that that goes out about us. Uh, The second reason it creates an artificial harmony is because this information is given to the masses and not just from person to person like it would in an in-person conversation. And the third reason it creates artificial harmony is through digital platforms, we don't have true mutuality. The give and the take of an actual conversation, it's something that's going out like a one-way mirror. And even if you're acquiring information about a person through that platform, it's not true mutual interaction. Therefore, it's a kind of artificial intimacy. These kinds of digital-only interactions can create what is called a parasocial relationship. A parasocial relationship is a one-sided relationship where one person extends emotional energy, interests, and time, and the other party or the other persona is completely aware of the other person's existence. It's the person who, you know, follows you on Twitter and you have no clue who they are, but they're going through some effort to gain information about you. You know, you may feel like you know a celebrity or, you know, someone in the royal family, but with social media, we're, we're actually able to have that kind of like artificial knowing of a person in our church or a person in our town. But the reality is if you didn't acquire that knowledge through person to person interaction, embodied interaction, it's more likely that you actually just have a parasocial relationship. And it's this lack of mutual uh, mutuality and genuine interaction that actually fuels our loneliness. Uh, numerous studies have noted that the more a person uses social media, the more likely they are to be lonely. And it's not that social media itself is making us unhappy. Cal Newport in his book, Digital Minimalism, said the key issue is that using social media tends to take people away from the real world socializing that is massively more valuable. So consider the difference when, you know, you have a major milestone event like having a baby. Consider the difference between a person commenting, ah, on your Instagram post Uh, versus setting up a FaceTime call while they're in the hospital and actually talking and interacting and seeing the baby in real time, or when life permits us to do this again, to visit people in the hospital or to bring, show up on their porch and bring them a meal. There is a massive difference between the ease of a social media comment and an embodied mutual interaction. Newport again said, 
the small boosts you receive from posting on a friend's wall or liking their latest Instagram photo cannot come close to compensating for the large loss experienced by no longer spending real world time with that same friend. Why is this the case? Because true friendship is a living thing that is birthed and sustained by embodied interaction. Now, in the middle of all of these conversations about friendship and community, we have the church, which as I've contended, the church should be a seedbed and a school for authentic friendships. But sadly, many American churches actually accelerate the loneliness epidemic with a confused sense of self, a confused sense of what the church actually is. You see, when the church is regarded as a product or a service that is offered to individual religious consumers, uh, this is when people you know, can enter a worship gathering anonymously, they get their you know, personalized, individualized religious content, and then they exit anonymously. Uh, when the lights are turned off in the congregation and everyone comes in to watch the show, the professionals, the people on the stage, and then we're shuffled out so that the next group of people can come in to, to receive their content, uh, that tells a story about who and what the church is. It tells a story that the church is, in fact, a, a product to be consumed, an experience to be had for individual religious consumers. But if the church is all about the building or the preacher or the experience with little mindfulness or discernment about the body of Christ, the people in the room, the, the individuals and the families and the friendships that compose that community, everybody is getting shortchanged. We're all worse for it because the church is not a building, a preacher, a service, an experience. The church is fundamentally the people. The building could burn down, Facebook could go away forever, and the church exists and is not threatened. And so if you consider yourself part of our church, I want to say this. When you think about our church, I want you to develop an imagination of us-ness. Cornerstone is not the brand, not the building, not the preacher. It's, it's us. It's names and faces. It's the people that you worship alongside, the people in your group, the people who associate with this local church. The church is the people. So develop that imagination of us-ness. When our church first started gathering and meeting here on our Lewis location um, in our little sanctuary, we deliberately kept all the lights up and the music down. Why? Because we wanted to develop an imagination of usness. I wanted us to be able to see each other. Uh, we wanted to be able to, to hear each other. Under normal circumstances, it's also why in our worship services, like we have so many different people that, that read scripture or lead prayers or serve communion or share stories because the church is fundamentally the people. It's this network of friendships at varying levels of intimacy. It's us. It's meant to be a true community. And this vision for the church as not a product or service, but as a family, as a community, flows from God's vision for the faith community as family in the Bible. Uh, we see the, the intrinsic community and intimacy within the Godhead as God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in indivisible, eternal unity. Israel is called to bless the world, not just through the individual of Abraham, but through the family of Abraham and his offspring. The New Testament church is, uses the language of family, a brother and sister, a, a new family of all nations and tribes and languages to bless the world. 
And my hope would be that our church would be a launch pad for the best and the most meaningful friendships that you've ever had in your life. But to do that, and this is what we're talking about today, I think we need to get several things right first. First is is our understanding of how friendships are birthed and sustained, and that's through embodied interaction. Uh, The second is, is our understanding of what the church actually is. It's not a service. The church is a network of friendships. Third, uh, the acquisition of skills and practices to make friends. And this is what I want to spend the majority of my time on uh, right now. The skills, the how-to to to making friendships. I actually don't think that it's natural or instinctive for everyone to know how to make friends, especially in our era where everything or most things are mediated through some kind of digital channel. We have to learn how to make friends. And the good news is there are people who are actually really good at making friends. And there are things about them, uh, things that we can learn from them. And with deliberate intention, it has to be something that you want to do and you're willing to put some sweat equity into. With deliberate intention, you can learn from people who are good at having good friends and pick up practices to develop meaningful and life-giving friendships. And I'm just like a watcher, an observer in life. And I've studied people who have, have great friendships wherever they go. And I want to share with you a secret that could forever change uh, your experience of church, of community, of friendship, of belonging, uh, wherever you go. Uh, you, the, the truth is that you can have friendships, but there's a big if to it. And what I'm about to share is going to sound so basic, you may be tempted to write me off. This is going to sound so not groundbreaking, so duh, that you're like, all right, is that it? But I'm telling you that this this insight could change your life, could change everything for you. You can have friendships, and here's the if, I-F-F. You can have friendships, if you will, initiate frequent FaceTime. If you'll initiate frequent FaceTime, let me explain. Uh, You have that one friendship where the first time you met this person, you hit it off and you were just like best buds from the very beginning. Uh, But the overwhelming majority of friendships that you have are not like that. Uh, Somebody had to initiate, somebody had to get the ball rolling in one way or another. If you want meaningful friendships, you must initiate and not tire of being the initiator. And I'm talking about initiating opportunities to have FaceTime, to have embodied interaction with another person. The people that I know that have the best friendships in all the world are people who are constantly initiating time together. Hey, let's grab coffee. Let's go on a walk. Let's go to the farmer's market together. Hey, do you want to go on a trip together? Will you come over and help me with some yard work? Hey, we're going to do a Bible study. Do you want to be part of it? Hey, save a seat for me at church. Let's sit together, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The people with the best friendships, the best networks of friendships are those who are willing to initiate frequent FaceTime, to to regularly be the relational instigator, drawing another person in toward, toward interaction. Uh, the, the people that I know uh, who have the best friendships know by instinct or by practice that friendship requires initiation. And most people, in my opinion, are, are hesitant or reluctant to initiate because they don't want to bother people or because they've been disappointed in the past and they don't want to get let down. 
But listen, you have no idea just how fragile or insecure or lonely all the people around you are all the time. Everybody wants to be noticed. Everybody just wants somebody to know their name. Everybody wants to be missed when they don't show up. Um, So initiate and keep initiating with the assumption that other people are just as hungry for relationships as you are. You may need to do some trial and error. You may need to increase your capacity to deal with some truly awkward interactions that lead nowhere, but initiate and keep initiating just in the interest of finding friends and the interest of being a friend and having a friend initiate and just keep at it. There's also a natural progression to the initiation that that may be helpful for you to understand. Just like a baby has to first learn to sit and crawl and then walk and then run. So friendships have a natural kind of pacing at which they develop. So do not go up to a stranger at church, a person you've never talked to before and said, Hey, can I confess all of my worst sins to you? And will you be my accountability partner? That's going to go really poorly. They may be super nice and be willing to try it, but I'm telling you that's going to be really awkward and a hard start to a friendship. You're going to scare people off. Instead, uh, when you begin initiating with people, you don't know, initiate crawling behaviors. So, hey, you want to sit by me at church? That's a really safe entry point. Grab a casual lunch. Uh, go out to coffee or lunch with friends. Um, as you, and as you master crawling, just getting things started, you can slowly increase the kind of activities or, or questions or behaviors in levels of intensity. So you crawl, and then you, then you walk, and then you run. Things are usually weird when that order gets out of sorts. So to have adult friendships, you must initiate and you must initiate frequently. So especially as you get older, life just kind of gets crazy there for a while. And for many of the people in our church, like you're slammed with maybe you're doing graduate school or marriage or, or your work is requiring a lot of you or you're doing volunteer work or humanitarian work. And like you just feel like you're spread in all directions and don't have a ton to give. And if real friendship is only sustained by FaceTime, by embodied interaction, you can reasonably only have so many friendships. So if you're going to initiate and you're going to initiate frequently, you need to choose carefully the people with whom you can reasonably spend a lot of time. It helps to increase your frequency if those people are are ones that you live near or you have some natural places of overlap. That's why I think uh, developing friendships within church is just so great and naturally easier than many other kinds of friendships. Because if you work together, if you're in a kind of group together, that's two built-in touch points a week, which is probably more than many people see their family in that kind of meaningful, deliberate interaction. To have two built-in touch points a week is a huge leg up on other relationships. You need frequency to initiate frequently. Friendship requires initiation. It requires frequency. It also requires variety. So you may have a friend and, and your friendship, like it feels like it's not going anywhere or it's kind of stalling. Maybe the only thing you ever do is just get coffee and talk. Friendship requires variety. So mix it up. Um, uh, do a physical activity, 
bring in a third or fourth person, go on a trip, volunteer somewhere together so that you have like an activity that is, is giving you something to talk about, change the location, change the activity, change the people involved, change the level of intensity. Not everything has to be deep all the time. Not everything also has to be just like chit chat all the time. Uh, Not every friendship has to be the same either. So there may be some friendships where you just really naturally laugh and play and, and be grateful for those relationships. Those same friendships might not be ones in which you do like deep, intimate sharing. It could be that they have a capacity for that and you haven't tried it, but it also could be that the chemistry is not just right uh, for that. And, and that's okay too. The truth is we need a, a robust and a diverse network of friendships with levels of interaction in varying degrees of, of intimacy and intensity with our lives overlapping frequently. But none of this like, like friendship acquisition happens accidentally. It happens as a result of intention. It's something that like we will to be. We make space for it or we don't make space for it. We ultimately have the power over our yeses or our noes. We can do things to initiate. We can do things to initiate frequently and with variety, or we can choose not to do those things. But none of it happens accidentally. Uh, we need to recognize that God has built us with this intrinsic need for friendships. It's not good for men to be alone. It's not good for women to be alone. We are hardwired to connect. And just like your body needs food and just like your body needs water, just like you need sunshine, you need friendships. We need people with whom we have like, like lives that are, are weaving into each other's. We need people who are coming alongside us for seasons to encourage us, to encourage us to laugh with us, to, to cheer us on, to bring us meals, to mow our lawn when things are going poorly. We need friendships at varying levels of intimacy because God built us this way. And on the heels of, of studying the Sermon on the Mount for, for eight months, this teaching about community and forging friendships is all the more important. As, as Peter said, he said, now that you've cleaned up your lives by following the truth, love one another as if your lives depended on it. And our lives do depend on it. And our faith depends on it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, the Sermon on the Mount crushes the individual. You can't do it on your own, but it gives life to the community. The church and our mission in the world depends on the strength of our friendships, the degree to which we're cheering each other on, comforting and challenging and sharpening and laughing with each other. Our mission in the world depends on these kinds of friendships. And wouldn't it be amazing if the church of Jesus Christ were known as being an incubator of such compelling and inspiring and rich and fun friendships that people who did not know Jesus were compelled and attracted to jump in just because they were longing to be part of something so beautiful and something so inviting as the caliber of friendships that we develop together. Wouldn't it be amazing if their lonely hearts like saw something that in, in their deepest parts that they longed for a glimpse in our friendships of the self-giving, other-honoring, diverse, and yet unified community within the Holy Trinity who created us to yearn for such connections. May it be so. 
Andy Crouch, in his book, uh, The TechWise Family, he's writing about how the family is to operate with regard to technology, but gives us this great insight that has bearing on these conversations. Andy Crouch said, here's the complicated and wonderful truth. If our families are meant to be all that they can be, if they're going to be all that they're meant to be, which is schools of wisdom and courage, they will have to become more like the church, households where we are actively formed into something more than our culture would ask us to be. And if our churches are to be all that they're meant to be, they will have to become more like a family. Household-like contexts of daily life where we are all nurtured and developed into the persons we were meant to be and can become. Communities where we have frequent FaceTime, we're rubbing shoulders with each other in various areas of life, helping each other to grow in joy and companionship, in Christ-likeness. The vision for this was to happen in a network of rich friendships uh, that is the church our first family. So the coronavirus is making this difficult for many of us. Some of us are are stuck at home and presents unique challenges, but where is God inviting you to invest in relationships? Maybe you have a relationship that you've been taking for granted for a long time, and that friendship has been on autopilot, and you really haven't hung out in years. Or you haven't hung out in a way that like is deliberate with intention because you value that relationship. How is God pushing you back to initiate frequent FaceTime with those people? Maybe you are new to our church and you're like, I don't know anybody. I would just challenge you, uh, though it's the burden should be on those who call Cornerstone their their church. I want to give you permission to be an initiator. Where is God inviting you to be an initiator of FaceTime and a crawl, walk, run kind of progression? For those of you who call our church home, where are those people who are deer in the headlights every time we gather, who sit alone and leave alone and appear to know nobody? It it, it is the calling of the church to be people of hospitality who welcome into our circle of friendships those who are far off, being that new first family that the church was meant to be. This is a non-trivial conversation. This is a life or death conversation. I want to invite you to invest in your friendships and the networks of friendships within our church with seriousness and with joy and with great intent. You can have friendships if you're willing to initiate frequent FaceTime. Let's pray together. Jesus, may there be a spirit of friendship in our church a spirit of like true camaraderie and companionship and joy that like you would just like throw some fertilizer on those little seeds of friendship that are in our church, give people the courage to take the relational risks to initiate and to respond to the initiation of others. Uh, May there be joy. May there be companionship. May there be life altering friendships Our our church, a seedbed and a school for, for these kind of friendships as we lean into this this fall. For those who are starting groups, for those who are just casually attending our church, may we see movement in this direction and may this movement be attractive to those who do not know you, those who are not part of the church and who yearn for the community that we see in, in the God, His Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. May it be so in our church. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you, friends. We'll see you around. Go initiate with some people. See ya.